G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon focuses on Mark chapter 7 verses 24 to 37 and it's called Following Purity. Mark chapter 7 verses 24 to 37 says this, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon had gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, today we're looking at two healing stories uh, from the back end of Mark 7. They are both signs pointing us back to the deep truths about who Jesus is and what God is like. They're by no means straightforward, though. In one, Jesus calls a needy woman a dog, and in another, he gives a deaf man a wet willy. Did you ever have those when you were growing up? Jesus is never predictable, and his miracles always point back to a deeper reality found in the kingdom of God. So today we're going to look at the dogs and the crumbs, the deaf and the dumb, and finally we're going to encourage each other to follow the signs. So in the first section of today's passage, we find Jesus once again trying to get some space. At the beginning of Mark 7, he finds himself at the Gennesaret on the uh, shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is, the Gennesaret is, is around here. Sorry, the map's not very clear. And he travels out of Galilean territory, out of Israel, to the vicinity of Tyre, And Tyre was a portside town, and it was a mixed town of Greeks and Phoenicians and Romans and some Jews, but it certainly wasn't a Jewish stronghold. And Mark 7.24 tells us that Jesus entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. Throughout Mark, Jesus has been coming more and more famous, and the crowds have been getting bigger and bigger, but at the same time, opposition has been growing. 
Tyre was a powerful port, and the Syrophoenician people who dominated that town were really good traders, which meant that a lot of the um, food, the bread, and the produce often went to Tyre rather than to Galilee in the south. And thus, the people of Tyre hated the people of Galilee, and the people of Galilee called Syrophoenician people dogs. Now, even though Jesus was a Jewish teacher, news of his healings had made it to Tyre, and the news of his arrival leaks out. So a Syrophoenician woman, whose daughter is demon-possessed, finds the house where Jesus is staying, goes into the room where Jesus is trying to be alone, and falls at his feet. Now, this is all kinds of wrong. This woman is a foreigner, and Jesus was meant to hate her. She's got a demon-possessed daughter, so who knows what her background is like. And she's by herself, a woman in the presence of a rabbi. If the Pharisees were there, they would have had a conniption. And it seems that the disciples do exactly that. In Matthew's account of this event, the disciples come to Jesus and say, send her away, for she keeps crying out at us. She's begging, and she's continuously doing so. And it looks like at first that Jesus agrees with them. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to to open it to Mark chapter 7 and look at verse 27, which says, First let the children eat all they want, Jesus told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It seems like Jesus is doing what is expected of him by calling this foreign woman a dog and telling her, to buzz off. He's been sent to seek and save the lost children of Israel, not to be a wandering medical missionary. But the woman isn't done. Surprisingly, she cops this insult on, a chi- on, on the chin, and then she quips back in verse 28, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She riffs off the parable and then extends it, She accepts that she's different and that she doesn't deserve Jesus' time or energy, but she's desperate. Her mother's instinct drives her to take a risk, and the risk pays off. Jesus changes his tune completely and goes from calling her a dog to praising her in verse 29. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now the question that's bothered people for 2,000 years is why does Jesus call this woman a dog? Some believe it's because Jesus was a product of his times and needed this feisty woman to teach him a lesson. But another perspective, the perspective that I have, is that Jesus is in on the joke. And he's having a joke at the disciples' expense. Last week, we saw Jesus teaching on purity in the beginning of Mark chapter 7. And everyone gets upset with him because he's not following the Jewish purity laws. Although on the outside, this woman is considered a dog, Jesus sees that there's more to her. And his quick response highlights that he hasn't been beaten by the woman. He never intended on sending her away. 
This one-two combination gives a response the disciples expected, and then the woman's faith stuns them and shows them up. While the good religious people treat Jesus with suspicion, this woman begs him for help. While the disciples can't figure out who Jesus is, this woman calls him Lord. While everyone expects Jesus to fall in line with the hatred and prejudice of the day, this woman begs Jesus for audacious grace. She knows people think she's a dog. She knows that she's not worthy of Jesus' blessings. But she won't let go of him until he blesses her. She recognizes that Jesus has come to restore God's kingdom, the people of Israel. But she knows that at God's table, there's enough for everyone. And Jesus knows this too. You could almost imagine him saying to the woman, looking at the glint in her eye and saying, Oh, it's not right to throw the children's bread to the dogs. And her getting it and going, Ah, but even the, even the dogs gather the bread, the crumbs that come from the children's table. This interaction is a sign pointing us to God's mercy and goodness. Friends, we should never treat God like a magical genie whose only purpose is to do what we want when we want it. None of us are worthy of God's grace. But he wants us to come to him boldly like this woman, with bold, audacious faith, knowing that he is better than we could ever imagine, knowing that even if we had a thousand tongues, we'd, be able, we'd not be able to sing our Redeemer's praise. We know he is both worthy of all our praise and is more than ready to give us what we truly need. Jesus commends the woman's faith, he uses her as an example. And her life and the life of that of her daughter are changed forever. So that's the dogs and the crumbs. Let's look at the deaf and the dumb. The second part of our passage is another healing story. And it, again, it's a funny one. A group brings a man who can't hear or speak clearly to Jesus. Now, two weeks ago, my youngest son, Jude, had grommets put into his eardrums to drain out the fluid buildup in his ears. He wasn't responding to us properly because his ears weren't working properly, and his speech was muffled because that's what he was hearing. He was hearing muffled speech through the fluid in his ears. Now that his ears are working better, his speech is getting better because he can hear himself and the people around him better. It's been good to see his world expanding as he's been able to hear more and communicate better. This is what the deaf mute man's friends want Jesus to do for him. And like the woman, they beg Jesus for help. Now it's here that the story gets weird. Jesus takes the man alongside to be alone and he gives him that, that wet willy. He sticks his fingers in his ears. <laughs> And then he touches his tongue. Imagine how confronting that would be to have a stranger just coming and touching your tongue. And then Jesus spits. Then he looks up to the sky and says, Ephatha. Now remember, this man comes from the Decapolis. The Decapolis was um, a, a region of ten towns, um, Decapolis, 
Uh, that's what that means in Greek. And so um, the Decapolis was a mixed area. And as um, our movie star, Paul, who's um, in the congregation today, hey, Paul, uh, great um, rendition in the kids' talk, um, the Decapolis people weren't very religious. They didn't follow Jewish purity laws. So again, Jesus is touching someone who is unclean. But he's not acting like a foam-at-the-mouth faith healer. He's not using magic words. Faith healers of today uh, bring people in front of crowds and TV cameras. Jesus takes this man aside where it is quiet so that when he opens his ears, the noise won't be overwhelming. And he won't turn him into a freak show. And he doesn't need antics to heal him. He just healed a girl by remote control. The mother comes, he he says, your daughter is healed and she's healed. He doesn't need to do all these things for himself or in order to make this man be healed. But he's doing something special. Pastor Tim Keller notes that he's using sign language for a man who's been deaf. He touches his ears as if to say, I'm about to open these things. He touches his tongue to say, I'm about to break the chains that bind your tongue. And he spits as a a sign of opening and release. And then he uses his heart language. He looks up to his father in heaven and uses his heart language of Aramaic saying, be opened. Jesus isn't using special actions or magical words. He's identifying with the man, again showing him God's compassion and willingness to heal a foreigner, someone on the outside. It's fascinating to note that the word used to describe this man's uh, disability is used only twice in the whole Bible, here and then in Isaiah 35. Isaiah is a book of judgment. It's a book of fire and brimstone, if you ever read it. But Isaiah 35 changes tack and it says, One day the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Mark is saying, this is that moment. Jesus is the one who is going to open eyes, ears and hearts to God. Many before Jesus had read Isaiah, assuming the Savior King would come to recreate the kingdom of Israel. In healing this man, Jesus is saying, I am that man, but God's salvation plan is much bigger than reestablishing a kingdom. God is reaching out to every single person and bringing his healing and wholeness, the healing and wholeness and fullness of life found in the kingdom of God to every single person everywhere. Everyone's invited. Not just the pure people. Not just the religious people. Not just the good people. This is God's upside down kingdom, friends, all over again. He's using this healing opportunity as a sign pointing to God's big redemption plan. This creates ripples through the land. And so in verse 37, we're told, people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. 
This again is Old Testament language. When God creates the world, he stands back and says, this is good. I've done well. So what Mark is saying is Jesus is the God-man. Jesus has God's power. Jesus is on the same mission. Jesus has done everything well. You see, Jesus didn't come into our world simply to heal a handful of people temporarily. He came to complete God's global rescue plan. Every time someone is healed in Mark, it's a sign pointing back to the wellness found in God. Jesus asked the people to keep it a secret. He does this to protect the man and also to stop him being harassed. But he also does it because he knows that people won't understand the fullness of what he's done for this man until he has risen from the dead. In his death, Jesus lowers himself. He becomes a dog so that we can become God's children and feast at his table. In his death, Jesus' ears are smashed, his tongue is dried up like pottery, and he's spit on and abused. Jesus endures rejection and shame that should have been ours, so we can come into the presence of God. Then on the third day, Jesus rises to resurrection life. The scars are there. (coughs) He's the same person, but he has a resurrection body. And disability, decay, disease, and death are a thing of the past. Every miracle Jesus performs is a sign pointing back to the goodness of God and the fullness of heaven. To miss this is to miss God. So friends, Mark wants to encourage us today to follow the signs. Too many Australians think too much of themselves or too little of God. We think that our lives are just fine without religion, church or God. We imagine that we're good people or at least we're not bad people. And so we live lives to satisfy ourselves, working for things that won't last and idolizing things that won't satisfy. We ignore the signs pointing to the reality that each of us will one day die and come face with Jesus. So some of us have too high a view of ourselves. But on the other hand, some of us have too low a view of God. We worry that there may be a God that we'll meet one day, but we think too little of his redemptive purposes. We think God wouldn't want anything to do with us or couldn't help someone as bad as us. If this is you, then I've got great news for you, friend. God loves you and is more merciful than we deserve and more loving than we could ever know. While there's a beat in your heart and breath in your lungs, you can come to God and he will set you free from the inside out, giving you joy and purpose beyond your wildest imagination. Like the Syrophoenician woman and the friends of the deaf mute, we need to come before God with humility, but we also need to be 
begging for his love, knowing that he is good enough to give it. This passage is also a sign of the power of lifting people up in prayer. Just as the woman brings her daughter and the friends bring the man before Jesus, let's keep praying that our friends may know Christ. The biggest problem facing Dolby is not political, social, or economic. It's spiritual. Too few people in Dolby know Jesus. This should drive us to our knees and cause us to cry out to God for our neighbours, our family, and our district. One day, all of us will come before God. And the question will be asked of us, why should you be welcome at the Lord's table? If your answer is, because I was successful, because I went to church, because I did good things, it's the wrong answer. The right answer is modeled by the Syrophoenician woman. Lord, you shouldn't let me in. But I know you will, because you are good and gracious, and because your one and only Son, Jesus, died for me. We're going to finish now by praying a prayer from the Anglican Prayer Book, which I must must confess um, I've taken out of our liturgy of late because it's so confronting. But it actually sets our hearts ready to receive the Lord's Supper and to feast at his table, which is what we are going to do in a moment. And it also reflects the reading that we prayed today um, and that we looked at today. And so I invite you, um, if you're ready, uh, to pray the words printed in bold with me. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen.